You're listening to the greatest multifamily investment advice show. My name is Adam Ross, and now I'm talking everything multifamily for an in-depth conversation, and I will be diving deep into raising capital, deals, and underwriting process. Welcome back to the greatest multifamily advice show. Today we have Corey Spirley, an exceptional guest, multifamily investor, focused on Saskatchewan and Alberta market with more than 10 buildings on his portfolio. Please help me to welcome our guest. How are you, Corey? Good, Adam. Thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be on your show today. Thanks so much for being with us today, and I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, no problem. So uh, I would like to start with the beginning uh, as a multifamily investor from Kelowna, British Columbia, to moving to Saskatchewan, or the origin is uh, Saskatchewan, to Kelowna, and then investing in Alberta. What was the beginning for you as a multifamily investor? Yeah, so I started real estate in the year 2000. I bought my first single family. That was in Saskatoon. I moved on to uh, a side-by-side duplex. I bought a duplex and then I relocated to Edmonton, you know, around 2004. Hmm. So I was was working overseas at the time and I was trying to manage my single family portfolio from abroad. Hmm. And it was just an absolute nightmare, nightmare scenario. So I thought there has to be an easier way to do this. Hmm. So I joined ventured with a gentleman named Thomas Beyer who was um, operating in Alberta at the time on a multifamily. So we syndicated into a 40 unit apartment building in Edmonton and I invested $25,000. And that turned into just an absolutely phenomenal investment. I think I tripled my return on that. Hmm. And I had the bug and I started getting into multifamily and I've been doing multifamily ever since. How long it is so far? So I've been doing multi. I've been doing real estate for 22 years and multifamily for 18 years. Okay. So 2004 was my first joint venture. I did a couple more JVs in between there where I participated just to learn. So hmm. that was sort of the basis of my coaching was basically hands on with the syndicator, and that was a great way for me to learn the the business, the multifamily business. Hmm. So I actually bought my first actual building myself in 2008, hmm. and since then to today I've bought 11 buildings. Wow. Sorry, 10 buildings. Yeah, yeah. So uh, how many um, um, units or uh, units under management right now? So right now, we currently only have four buildings. I have one. I'm hoping to get under contract within a couple of weeks. It's a, it's a big project, but we don't quite have it yet, so I can't talk about it. But um, right now, we have four buildings. So we have 50 units in Saskatchewan, as well as, I believe, so it's a... 22-unit mixed commercial in Beaumont, Alberta, and an 18-suite apartment building. So probably around 100 units currently that we have. Yeah, the rest yeah. we've we've since sold. I think it's, uh, you said it's 10 building, but you start to buy and hold and sell. So yeah. So about this, what is your target market? And when you're looking to your market, what is the market fundamentals you're looking for? I love the prairies for a few reasons. Um, first of all, it's because mm. I, I grew up there. I know the markets really well. Yeah. Um, they don't have rent control. Yeah. You know, we can buy undervalued buildings and raise rents very quickly. Mm. Uh, they've changed the laws. It used to be every three months we could give a rent increase. So you could create value. Like in Alberta from 2002 to 2007, you could raise rents and value incredibly fast. Yeah. So now it's not quite as, as fast. You know, yeah. It's um, one, only once a year in Alberta, twice a year in Saskatchewan. But you can still give unlimited increases. So that's why I really like those markets. Um, vacancy rates are coming down right now. A lot of in-migration, you know, since the pandemic is winding down. So the economies are starting to heat up. 
So that's why I really, really like those areas. I think there's a lot of upside in the next five to 10 years. Especially with the Ukrainian new crisis and think there's a migration to the States because it's cheaper. So it's going to be hot again, I think. So regarding your, your criteria, when you're looking for buildings, which class you're looking for, B, C, D, uh, A? Uh, I'm not a huge burr guy. I don't like to buy buildings that are completely dilapidated. I mean, I've done it. Hmm. Burrs are incredibly difficult today, especially in a rising interest rate environment. Hmm. My cookie cutter joint venture model was five-year buy and hold. Conventional hmm. financing, not CMHC. Hmm. If the deal made sense. It's very easy to qualify from the banks. Hmm. Uh, the banks are very much on business terms. You're not dealing with CMHC or the government. And, you know, my formula, I, I could do very well in five-year periods. So it's, I, I prefer to buy a building that's maybe needs a little bit of work. You know, we can tweak things here and there to get the rents up and, you know, and then increase value over a five-year period, five to 10-year period. Hmm. Now, I just did a burr in, in Leduc, Alberta, where we bought a building that's for only 86 a door. You know, we just got our commitment letter today. And I think our final value is like 130 doors. So we're able to pull all of our equity out in about seven months. Okay. But, and I've done that in like the last three deals in a row, but that's not typical. I mean, typically my, my kind of model is, you know, I find an area that has, you know, low vacancy where I can increase rents and basically just buy and hold. It's, it's pretty boring actually. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the upside about the last, uh, last period as uh, a last, uh, last deal? is uh it was poor management or what was the upside that you said okay this is a good deal yeah so what i look for adam is i look for buildings that have high vacancy you know and, okay. and usually that's a reflection of management yeah so this particular building in Leduc, it was an elderly lady who she owned four or five buildings before mm. and she wasn't really well known for putting a lot of money into her projects mm. so this building had been on for sale on mls for over a year wow. it had been under contract four times I had it under contract myself. I went and inspected it, asked for a reduction, and they said no, mm. and ended up getting it back, you know, it'll at a later date. Yeah. Simply because, you know, a person buying in, they can't get the financing if it's 40% vacant. So yeah. you have to do a, a two-stage finance, which is what I ended up doing. But yeah, it was basically just a reflection of management. Um, I mean, she had it was near a school and she had like a no-kid policy. You know, she was, you know, leaving tenants you know, being, being too selective over tenants, hmm. didn't fix anything. The building was really, you know, kind of old and outdated, needed a lot of work, hmm. but it was mostly cosmetics. Hmm. So we saw a tremendous value add opportunity there. That's great. Um, regarding numbers now, especially with uh, interest spike and uh, the inflation, um, what is the, your criteria regarding cash and cash and target uh, uh, internal rate of return? When you're looking for deals right now on the market, I think everything has been shifted. Um, you have to be more. Uh, I'm say I'm I can say conservative on your approach because of the interest rates uh, spike. But what is your criteria on nowadays on the last four months? Yeah. So the biggest change, you know, as you've alluded to, is interest rates. Hmm. But it's not so much the rate that you're paying. Of course, that's going to affect the amount of your cash flow and the amount of principal you pay down. Yeah. But it's also the ceiling that the lenders are using. So there's two sets of numbers that they're going to calculate a loan to value based on the cap rate, but they're also going to tie a ceiling to it based on a ceiling rate. Yep. So, I mean, just because you might think you're going to get, you know, 75 loan to value, loans are getting scaled back now to 60 or lower. So this is the biggest change. Investors are having to put more cash down, which is obviously lowering your, um, you know, your, your return on investment. Yeah. But it's kind of a balance because, you know, the lower the loan you have, the, the higher the cash flow. 
So it's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, today, I'm not, I'm not taking on any debt that's less than 24 months. I don't want to enter into a burst situation where I'm borrowing one year interest only and having to refinance 12 to 18 months from now at 7% because I'm stress testing all of my loans at 7% interest now. Well, wow. some people think that's nuts, but you know, back when I started, that was normal. So as for rates of return, I'm looking at, hmm. you know, I, I want to do 15 to 20% ROI, you know, per year, yep. but that's getting tough to do unless you get a really sharp purchase. But the good news is, is there's a lot of deals out there right now. There is some motivated vendors. There's their loans are coming up for renewal and they can't they either can't get the loan they wanted or they're having to pay down the loan. Hmm. And we're seeing that more and more. So there is motivated vendors. There's a lot of fantastic deals right now, especially on the prairies. Okay. So your your uh, your criteria now is not to hold, but to get inside now, especially. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would do buy and hold, but I, I need to I need to buy based on the interest rate I can get today. So hmm. two months ago, you could have got CMHC at two percent. Now you're looking at four percent. Hmm. So I, I'm doing like a five to ten year projection based on the based on the rate I'm paying today. So I'm after I have yesterday no walking in. After Sorry. yesterday, it was a CHMC was a 4%. I think it's more. A CHMC before yesterday was 3.9. Now I think it's more than 4. It could have been because the, the, the government of Canada five-year bond has been going up the last two days. So yeah. I think you're correct. Yeah. Um, now, the prime interest rate went up yesterday half a point. You know, yeah. that is more on variable rate mortgages as well as, you know, yeah. if you're doing a burr, then your interest, you know, that, that floats with prime. But yeah. Yeah. Those rates. And so imagine right now, Adam, you enter into a contract for a building, you know, you have 60 day financing period or 90 days hmm. from the time you have the building under contract till the time you fund the rates could be 1% difference or more. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of investors are like, well, how do I navigate this? So that's why 7%. <laughs> that's yeah. why you're, you're doing the under, but it's really conservative. I, I do it in 5.5 to six, but seven, but it's going to lower your LTV a lot. Yeah, so that's I use seven percent just as my value twelve months from now. So if I'm if I'm doing a bridge loan, if I'm doing like eighty five loan to value to to do a value add like I just did, I'm gonna say that in a year from now, I'm gonna anticipate that I'm gonna have to borrow at seven. So this is what my equity takeout in a year is gonna look like. So therefore, that's gonna dictate my purchase price today. So you know, I might have paid ninety a door for this for a project today. Well, now I think I need to get it at eighty eighty two for this to make sense. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I think you you open a, another a really good subject is uh, when you don't have a building with full vacancy or ninety five percent, which is sixty percent in your case. It's a two level. If you can a little bit elaborate on this, uh, it's like like unique uh, um, product to go with two level of financing on the deal to to able to close the deal because regular financing A or B, they're not gonna close the deal. I think the only solution will be hard money or mezzanine financing. And so if you have high vacancy or if the rents are super low, okay, it might make sense to do two-stage financing and then go to CMHC in a year from now. Mm -hmm. Now, your, your best option is always, always, always a vendor take back loan from the seller. Yeah. If you can say Mr. Seller, you know, he wants to sell his building, say he's got 50% vacancy, you can offer him a higher purchase price. You know, as much as five to 10,000 a door in some cases, yeah. if he's willing to lend you 90% of the value or 95% of the value for, you know, one to three years, 
it's a win for both sides. It's the cheapest money you're going to get your hands on. And then it usually takes about, you know, six to 12 months to reposition these buildings. And then you just take out the loan and pay them back. So you can say, hey, look, I'm going to give you a higher purchase price today. You get to defer your sale. So you're going to yeah. save taxes. You can do it over a couple of years and you're going to make some interest on it. Yeah. You know, yeah. a lot of these guys that have owned these buildings for a long time, when they sell, they don't know what to do with their money. So you're sort of indirectly solving another problem for them. 100%. So that's kind of the two-stage approach. You, you have other options. If the cash flow is strong enough, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm sorry. If you have a high vacancy, you pretty much have to go to market for a, a mezzanine or a bridge loan. Yeah. Uh, the one I just did was 85% loan to value. It's pretty high interest. 85 loan to value, 85 with hard money, correct? Uh, yeah, yes, yes. So it's it's basically... How it worked, so I did mine through ICI Canada. It was a one-year loan, but the interest rate goes up after after a year. So I think it's like 7.5% interest. Mm -hmm. But if I don't refinance after 12 months, then it jumps up to 10%. Yeah, yeah. So there's a very strong motivation to, to get the building stabilized, get it forming, and refinance to take out the you know the short-term financing. It's uh, interest only or interest was, uh, was principal? Interest only. Oh, okay. Most bridge loans are typically back in the day when I was doing this, they were seven, they only would only go to 75% loan to value. So then you you either went to market for a second mortgage, which was like 20% to mm -hmm. top it up to 85, or you tried to negotiate a vendor take back from the seller. Okay. But today the lenders are a little bit more creative. Uh, generally speaking, 85%, you know, from a, from a lender is as high as you can go. You may be able to go higher up to hundred percent with private money or with a vendor take. But the highest I've ever leveraged the building is 90%. I did a deal on Red Deer that was a 90% VTB because the building needed a ton of work. Hmm. But that's the highest going in loan to value that I've ever done. Okay. Um, if we can speak about this deal, how you got the deal? Off-market deals so from a realtor? Yeah, the one with the lady with the, <laughs> with the low vacancy. You know, this, this is, is, uh, this it's is a, a unique one. Yeah, this is a fabulous question because the most common thing I hear from people in multifamily Oh, it's a scarcity. I can't find a building. There's no buildings everywhere. Deals are so hard to find. Mm. No, no, they're everywhere. And, you know, three of the buildings I bought were from MLS. People say MLS. Oh, but you God. know what happens? People put a building on MLS. They overprice it. You know, maybe the realtor didn't know how to price it. Mm. It sits there. It gets stale. It gets tied up, uh, you know, one, two, three, four times by investors who haven't been pre-qualified with their mortgage broker. So they lock the building up under contract. The deal falls apart. Or it doesn't fall apart. They go to their mortgage broker and says, say, hey, I want a loan for this building. And the mortgage broker says, great, I can give you a 50% loan to value, you know, because they didn't really do their homework ahead of time. Yeah. So this happened to be the case with this building. This um, this vendor had been um, kind of slapped around a bit. She had a lot of deals fall apart, you know, which, you know, totally wasn't, wasn't totally her fault. But, you know, when I entered in my offer the first time, I asked, I walked through and I asked for a price reduction. Mm. She said no. And then some another investor after me tied it up. And then he mm. walked away. So by this time, she was pretty motivated and she said, Corey, look, I just want to sell this thing. And that's how I ended up getting the deal. So, mm. you know, when it comes to finding deals, I, I kind of think of it as planting seeds. Expired MLS listings are a great way to do it. Um, mm. Getting on the A lists of multifamily brokers, there's several brokerages out there. And, you know, you know, Chris Davies in Edmonton is, is a prime example. There's Avis and Young, there's Amina Davis and Young, there's uh, JLL, a lot of these. You want to get on these guys' lists, their email lists, 
So hmm. that when a building does come up, you'll be the first to see it because most of these buildings, they, they'll trade and you won't even, the public won't even know that they were for sale. Yes. You know, you'll yeah. see an email saying this one was sold to so-and-so. Oh, well, I didn't even see that one for sale. How come? So you want to get on those, you want to get on their radar. So you want to, you want to write some, uh, quality offers and slowly build your reputation so you can get on the, on those kind of A lists as I call them. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So uh, your business model is a little bit, I'm not going to say uh, from, um, it's a based on value added and buy and hold, but it's from long distance because Saskatchewan. So how you manage to deal with, I see different operators, some of them rely on, on an actual superintendent because uh, many issues with the property management, some of them not. So what was your style uh, with dealing with property management? Yeah, great question. You know, interprovincial investing is, I see this a lot from people from Ontario that come to the prairies and mm -hmm. maybe they didn't have a team. It took me roughly three to four years to set up a team in Edmonton and to set up a team in Saskatoon. So this is why once I get my property management team set up, then I like to add assets in there. So I be, I become worth my property manager's time. The mm. more units I have in there in my niche, the better. But it's very difficult. Like if I was trying to buy a building in like a remote area of BC or Saskatchewan or Alberta to set up a brand new team, very, very tough. And I would have to be incredibly hands-on with that property in order mm. to make it successful. And that's what happened with my first apartment building. It's a 12 sweeter I bought that was, you know, 500 kilometers away from my home. Oh. I had a full-time job. I had a new baby. It was like, what the heck am I doing here? <laughs> so it didn't work out so well. So I always say, you know, for interprovincial investors, it's important to get your team set up, um, you know, before you start buying assets. But I have everything professionally managed. Now I have it dialed into the point where this latest burr I did, my property management did everything. They did everything from all the upgrades, all the quotes. They charge me a project management fee. I talk to them like maybe once every two weeks just to, you know, accept the quotes. And it went so smooth. And now I can focus on, you know, raising capital and buying other buildings. I don't get bogged down in property management. 100%. And I think that's where a lot of people struggle, especially if they're from different provinces. And it's they hard. go into markets like Alberta or Edmonton. Maybe they're not familiar with it. Hmm. They may be buying a rough area that they weren't familiar with. It's a completely different, um, you know, style of management on the prairies. Mm -hmm. So it's very important to have a local team in there working for you. So uh, going to the one, uh, like a can of forum subject, basically is raising capital. How you uh, started raising capital? How, what was your initial steps? Uh, what was the motivations for your passive investor to join? Uh, and how you structure your deals? Yeah, great question. So. I kind of fell into that accidentally. I mean, I, I bought the first two apartment buildings, you know, with my own cash. Hmm. I was fortunate enough to be in Alberta at a time when, when property value was rising quickly. So hmm. I had home equity. So I used the home equity line to buy the first building, hmm. refinanced and bought the second building. Yeah. But I quickly realized I couldn't really scale up unless, you know, I used joint ventures, joint venture partners or raise capital. So hmm. being a nerd at this for so long, <laughs> I get so excited when I would talk about multifamily. Hmm. I essentially you know, talk to friends and family first, my inner circle. So there's kind of like three circles. There's your inner inner circle, which is your friends and family, and then second tier and then third tier. Hmm. But I talked to enough people that I had enough excitement that I was able to get, you know, family and friends into my first deal. And since that was successful, uh, I think most of them went into the second deal. Hmm. So I've since done six of these 
And I think I have a couple of my investors there in every single deal. And then along the way that they've told people, they've told family and friends, because I operate under the family and friends exemptions. Mm. So when it comes to raising capital, you have to be careful. It's yeah. a private corporation and I, I operate under friends and family. And there's also accredited investor exemptions and things like that. Yeah. But that was yeah. kind of how I fell into raising capital. And I, and I did that until 2017 was the last building I bought with multiple partners. Mm. And since then, I just went one-on-one one on one partners after that because I found it was a lot easier. And I wanted to have my own capital and my own deals. So big, yes. big cash was credit investor plus certain kind of limit to have less lim- less number of um, investor. But what kind of structure you have, like a, a joint venture, shareholder agreement? I don't think you yeah, go so with use, GPLP. Yeah so, yeah, so I use a unanimous shareholders agreement. Um, I kind of have two different versions because right now I just have active partners. Okay. So back when I was doing this before, they were called silent partners. Hmm. So my unanimous shareholders agreement, this is the way to go when you're buying multifamily. Very simple. A corporation will cost you about 1500 bucks. Yeah. A USA agreement will cost you another 1500 So I had two classes of shares. I had A, a voting class shares, which is I, I had all the voting rights. Hmm. The investors had C class shares where they participated in the equity of the building. Yeah. Um, but they they couldn't vote, and so that that was fine. I was the sole director. So how I how I structured my deal is I did a sixty forty split, where the investor would get sixty percent of the profits hmm. upon refinance or sale. So they would get all of their capital back first, hmm. and then we would split the proceeds with sixty to the investor and forty to myself. And so, that's been a structure that's worked pretty well over the years. So no preferred return every year. No, I I, I like to do things simple. I'm a very simple person. I mean, I, I would probably do it a little different today. Mm. I mean, I've, I've heard of these preferred or hurdles, yeah, but I would have to obviously take some kind of a fee. You know, I never took fees. So a lot of my JV deals, oh. I've now worked for eight years and I haven't been paid a dime. <laughs> Everything is on the back end. Yeah. Okay. But now today I realize that you, you have to charge something. You have to charge some kind of an acquisition fee, some kind of a management fee. I like the hurdle or the preferred. I like I like that in there that you know the investor would you know receive some back and then um and then they get a little bit extra before you split. I, I like that suggestion, but I try not to keep things too complicated. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, my next question will be about um I think uh, developing relationship with your core team, uh, property manager. And you and, and you highlight this basically uh, saying that it's hard to uh, have a team and uh, or put on the ground on your in your market. Um, how you maintain your relationship was and get a constant pipe stream of deals on your markets, especially one of them is really far. I think a sketch one is about. Yeah, I mean six seven hours or more. I think. Relationships are are so key are so key and you know the most the most important relationship for me is my property manager. You know, mm. the one I have in Edmonton, mm. because they, they don't just look after my properties. They also source deals for me, No, you know, because because they know all the owners. If yeah. the owner wants to sell, they want to keep the management contract. They're licensed brokers. They can connect the buyers to the sellers directly. Yeah. So I've actually got to see a lot of deals. I haven't bought a building yet this way, but I've, I've mm. come close. So that's one of the values that the property manager provides. The second one is. They know the markets better than everyone. So if I'm going to do a, buy a building, they can do a market survey of the area. They know exactly what the rents are, what the vacancies are more than anybody else. And third, when I, if they have the building under contract, they'll walk, you know, he'll walk through it with me and he'll say, Corey, this building needs A, B, C, D. You have to reduce the price by this much. 
So you very much, you're not in it alone, you know, along with your mortgage broker, your property manager, those are the two strongest pieces. Now, as for deal flow, like I've mentioned before, there's a variety of ways, um, you know, relationships with multifamily realtors and brokers is the most important. I'm very fortunate that I, I have very strong relationships with probably three or four of them in Saskatoon and probably six or seven of, the, of them in Edmonton. And I'm on the top of all of those lists. There's very few buildings that come for sale that I haven't already seen. And that's, that's just taken very, a lot of time to get to that position. Yeah, because as you mentioned, you have to show an actual credibility of closing because no one need the tire kicker on his list because you're wasting the time. Yeah, absolutely. So who was your influential mentor in your career? <laughs> I hate to mention the dreaded purple book, but I'm going to anyways. <laughs> I mean, I was one, I was from the Rich Dad Poor Dad Club. I read the book oh, you yeah. know, in an airport yeah. back in 2001. Oh, that's okay. kind of what got it all going. It was a new book, um, Begza. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it you was notice like the gray a... hair. I'm not going to date myself, but yeah, yeah, that was a long time ago. It was... It was a fairly new book at the time. It wasn't very popular. I mean, people hadn't really heard of it yeah. then. It was yeah. just uh, my wife at the time just grabbed it in the airport and says, hey, I think you should read this. And I started read, flipping through it on the plane. And then okay. after that, I started to meet, you know, guys that were doing this. So like I said, Thomas Byer was one of my first influential guys. Mm-hmm. I, I copied my JV model from him because mm-hmm. it worked so well. And guys like, um, you know, Ozzy Jurok in BC, he was another great one, great mentor ton of podcasts and YouTube videos, hmm. books. Um, yeah, I have several, you know, Rain, the Rain guys, Don Campbell, Russell Westcott. Hmm. I was a member of Rain for for many years because before there was Facebook, before there was social media, uh, Rain was pretty much the only game in town as far as mentorship. Hmm. And I, I took many courses through them. I took multifamily courses, single family courses. Hmm. Um, Thomas actually offered a multifamily course that I took hmm. back in 2005 as well. So, yeah, those are some of the guys who early on got me going, you know, and then it's kind of, it's really grown from there. Yeah. Uh, I think my last, but a fun question is, uh, what is your superpower? I would have to say it's, um, it's finding deals, acquisitions, Hmm. you know, my mortgage broker told me a long time ago when I would, I would bring him deals and he'd underwrite them for me. It's like, Corey. You got you to gotta spend more time doing this. You got to find a way to find these deals. You got to find a way to look under every rock in every crack. Hmm. So almost everyone around me will tell me when I, you know, I include them in JVs or I, hmm. you know, bring bring a deal to my mortgage broker. It's like, how did you find this deal? You know, so I, it's acquisitions would be would be my superpower. Yeah. One of my, uh, my uh, I'm not sure if this is legal or not. I was in a chat with someone telling me that he's going to the buildings and telling the property managers that he's an insurance broker so he can get in to take the information of the landlord. I like this idea, to be honest, but I think it's illegal. <laughs> I, you know, what I, I stop at the front door. I'll put my yellow letter on there. I did that in Edmonton one time. I took yeah. like 500 letters. I didn't buy a building, but the letter, le- yellow letter campaign is a lot of work. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, that's, a, that's what I haven't heard, but it would not surprise me. Yeah. I mean, I've seen, I've seen some too, where guys have offered the seller, um, Hey, I, I can bring you a buyer or, or they're already taking financial information for the building and sending it to buyers. They're just guessing. And then trying to bring the guy unsolicited offers. There's all kinds of stuff that goes on. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, again, uh, my last question will be, 
how the people can follow your success and find you on social media or uh, on your website? Yeah, so um, my website is just altonequities.com. You can you can find me there. Just Corey Spurley on Facebook, you know, hit me up with a message. Um, I do offer, I'm offering multifamily uh, training courses too. I have a mentorship program right now. Hmm. So you can find me on Instagram, Instagram or Facebook. Those are the two most obvious places. Hmm. You can also send me an email directly at cspurley at altonequities.com. That's S-P-E-R-L-E. I think it was really fun today. We had really uh, great information about uh, our expert on, on Saskatchewan, which is you. Uh, and really, we'd like to bring you again to give us more insight about your success and hopefully more deals. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. I, I had a blast today. Thanks a lot.